You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 5. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well, so capably. Appreciate your ministry week in and week out. So many volunteers. I am uh, just thinking this morning of all the different tasks that uh, have to be done, completed, many behind the scenes, and uh, it would not be possible uh, if it were not for so many who willingly volunteer and serve in children's ministry and student ministry, uh, security, just so many so many ways in which you serve faithfully. I just want to remind you that uh, the words to that last song um, are certainly biblical. Uh, they come really directly from Galatians chapter 4. I just want to share with you real quickly. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. So I hope that you could truthfully sing those words. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I hope that you know that because you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Um, That's all free of charge. Okay, we're going to Proverbs chapter 5 this morning. Proverbs chapter 5. We have been looking at the book of Proverbs this summer, uh, focusing primarily on the speeches uh, or the uh, paternal appeals from a father to his son, found in the first seven or eight chapters of the book of Proverbs. We've already looked at the first seven parental appeals found uh, in the first four chapters of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Today we turn our attention to uh, chapter 5, and we're going to really look at verses, uh, chapters 5 through 7, and I'll speak to that here in just a moment. But by way of review, I want to remind you of the definition from which we're working uh, when we talk about wisdom. Uh, It is not... Uh, necessarily just the ability to make good decisions, although that is certainly part of it. Uh, We have said this, biblical wisdom is to see life from God's perspective. It's to understand God's instruction in the practical matters of life and choose to live out that truth in our daily lives. In scripture, wisdom is not a thing, but a person. Jesus is the embodiment, the perfect embodiment of Wisdom, And again, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So even as we look at this ancient Old Testament text, we see Jesus personified here. When we talk about wisdom, and again, I said early on in this series of messages, you could replace the word wisdom as you make your way through Proverbs with Jesus, Uh, And it would be true to the text because he perfectly embodies wisdom. Now, last week we looked at the fifth, sixth, and seventh parental appeals. And we learned that wisdom shows us what has the greatest value in the marketplace of life. Of all the things that can can grab your attention, that can look appealing, that can look like something you just got to get your hands on, wisdom shows us what has eternal value in the marketplace of life. Of life, We learn that wisdom shows us the road or the path with the least dangerous curves and the best lights. 
And we learned that wisdom shows us how to establish and maintain optimal spiritual health. Now today we're going to consider a bigger section of scripture than we normally would. Uh, if you're taking notes on the backside of first things and you looked up there and it says Proverbs 5 through 7, you're thinking, we're going to be here a while. Um, we're not going to cover uh, all of chapters 5 through 7 in about 30 minutes. Uh, but uh, as we look at the text of Proverbs, what you find is that in really the entirety of chapter 5, uh, Solomon addresses the issue of sexual immorality. Uh, and then it seems he takes a little bit of a break in the first 18 or 19 verses of chapter 6. Then he returns to the subject of sexual immorality in the last part of chapter 6 and into chapter 7. And so uh, we're going to take some selected passages from those three chapters. And then, Lord willing, next week we're going to return to chapter 6 and look at verses 1 through 19. And in these three chapters, he really addresses two key issues uh, as it relates to choosing the path of wisdom over the path of foolishness. As I was preparing for this morning's message, I was mindful of a class that I was required to take as a pastoral major, and they would invite uh, seasoned pastors and missionaries and church leaders to come in and talk to us. And one of those guys got up and said, guys, let me tell you about the four F's that will derail your ministry. He said... Uh, finances, females, fame, and fatigue. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I've seen that played out over the course of my ministry in my life. I've had dear friends in ministry who have fallen prey in one of those areas. Now, I want to make it clear, as we look at the book of Proverbs here, he is going to talk about the forbidden woman. Okay, That is not to suggest that all women are forbidden or that all women are somehow seductresses or, uh, or anything like that. In fact, uh, I think we can safely say uh, that this applies to both men and women. There are certainly some men who are forbidden, uh, should be avoided at all costs. And so I just want you to bear that in mind this morning. But as we do look at verses, uh, chapters 5 through 7, I want to remind you that we've seen Solomon a number of times referring to lady wisdom. Wisdom is personified in Scripture as, as a lady. In fact, when you think of Proverbs 31... Uh, you think of a virtuous woman. And wisdom there is personified as lady wisdom. Well, today, as we look at this section of Proverbs, he references the forbidden woman. That is the opposite of the virtuous woman. The opposite of, of lady wisdom is this forbidden woman. And as we make our way through some of these selected passages, I want you to notice uh, simple things that we could many times overlook, but the power of words as it relates to this subject. The power of the look. Just a look. Uh, the power of an agenda, an invitation, her motives. We're going to see these things. And we talked a number of weeks ago about uh, the lure uh, in temptation. And Satan is masterful at using things that have a certain fleshly appeal to them, something that would, that would draw us aside. In fact, James says, every man is, is enticed when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when he follows that path, chooses that path, it says, lust, when it, when it conceives, bring forth sin, and sin ultimately leads to death. Well, we're going to see that played out here in Proverbs, as Solomon speaks to his son. Now again, I want to remind you of the way that we approach Scripture generally here at First Baptist Church. We typically are making our way through a book of the Bible. Uh, sometimes we approach it uh, from a thematic standpoint, uh, not always necessarily what you might call a verse-by-verse-by-verse 
uh, approach, um, but uh, I just want you to know and understand that uh, Pastor Mike doesn't sit in his study, uh, one of our other pastors, we don't sit in our study and go, uh, well, this is back to school Sunday, and this is a hot topic issue in our world today, so I think I'll preach on sexual immorality. Um, it didn't work that way. And so we finished chapter four last week, and we turned the page, and here we are in chapter five, okay? And so uh, I have to believe in God's sovereignty uh, that this is a word for us for this day and for this time. Now, I want to remind you uh, that these matters of sexual morality are not new to our day and our culture. They're not. I know sometimes you, you see things and you think, holy cow, what, 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 what else? What new word can possibly be thrown at us? Polyamory. What in the world is polyamory? And I mean, all of these different things. And it's a really chaotic time as it relates to some of these matters. And, and, and some of you have grown up kind of in the midst of, of what's been called culturally the sexual revolution. And so these issues create some very complex conversations. And they're hard. And if you don't believe me, talk to Jace, one of our pastors. He's working on a doctorate right now in cultural apologetic, and he's looking at these issues of, of identity and, and transgenderism and sexual identity and all of the stuff that, that gets thrown in the pot as it relates to uh, sexual immorality. And you got to know this, God's word is not outdated. A lot of people today who would try to tell us that God's word is no longer applicable to the day in which we live. It's an ancient document. How can it possibly speak to the world in which we live? And so we find ourselves still in the presence of sin. If you're here today and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are saved from the penalty of sin, even saved from the power of sin, but not yet saved from the presence of sin. We still live in, a, in the midst of a very broken, confused, sinful world. And this is one of the areas where we see that highlighted the most. So much confusion and, and so much debate. I mean, it is a hotly debated topic today. And if we dig into the subject a little further, I think what you would discover is that most of us in this room have very, very personal connections with someone who's struggling in some of these areas. You may be sitting here thinking, man, my story's unique. You have no idea. I got a pretty good feeling your story is probably not as unique as you might think it is. For your pastor included. Okay? And so I, I know it's a sensitive subject. We're not going to get graphic today or anything like that. Okay? Uh, but this may foster some conversations in your home. Okay? If you've got kids in the room. Uh, and I would just tell you, if you're not willing to talk about it and you're not willing to guide them to Scripture... Uh, there are all kinds of people out there who will be glad to talk about these subjects with your kids, okay? They will be glad to disciple them in some of these matters, okay? And so I, I just want to uh, make sure that you understand where we are coming from. We're going to actually start by looking at the first six verses of chapter 5, kind of to, uh, to give us an introduction or kind of a running start into these uh, three chapters that we'll be looking at today. Again, using similar language, uh, kind of a repetition, uh, it's like whenever you... You tell your kids something, most of us would say, I have to tell them more than once. Well, it was no different for Solomon, okay? He's, he's kind of repeating some things here. He says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Here, here, incline your ear, he says, to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. I don't spend a lot of time giving a title to my sermon every week, but if I had to give this one a title, I'd call it Sweet Lips. <laughs> Verse 3, 
The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And so with that in mind, I want us to first consider... God's design for sex that leads to delight. God's design that leads to delight. Uh, There are many hermeneutic principles. That is how we interpret scripture. And one of the most important ones is the principle of first mention. So that drives us many times back to the book of beginnings, to the book of Genesis. Uh, And I want to remind you what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother... And hold fast to his wife, cleave to his wife, hang on to her, and they shall become one flesh. Now, at the risk of sounding like I'm oversimplifying a very complex issue, we got to know and understand God's design for human sexuality is one man, one woman for a lifetime. That's the design. That's the design. Okay? Now, again, having said that, I recognize that this is a incredibly complex issue in the world in which we live, uh, and one that we should approach um, with God's wisdom, to be sure. Understand this, everyone has a standard. Everyone has a standard that defines what is good and true and beautiful uh, about everything, including uh, human sexuality. And whatever that standard is, it determines and defines what it means to be a man and a woman, what marriage is and what's permissible and impermissible when it comes to this area of our lives. So the real question is, what's your standard? And what we're seeing, uh, by and large, in our culture today is much like it was in the days of the Old Testament, people just doing what's right in their own eyes. The age in which we live says, we're going to make the rules. And any rules that God may have or any standards that God may have, they're outdated. They're to be discarded. Certainly, God can't God still mean that today, right? Doesn't he know that, I mean, this is the 21st century after all. No, God has a standard. We find it in his word. And so, what is your standard? Who has the authority and the right to make those definitions? Now, we would say for the Christian, we believe that God is our creator and our designer. And he and he alone has the right, the responsibility, the ability to define for us what is good and true and beautiful in every of our lives, including human sexuality. And so we look to God's word to reveal God's design for human sexuality. And anything that deviates from God's pattern and design goes against God's plan for us to thrive and flourish. This is why we often say here, when God says no, God means don't hurt yourself. When he says don't go there, he means don't hurt yourself. Uh, We sometimes get this notion that God is some sort of a cosmic killjoy I've had multiple conversations with people who see God as just, he just wants to take all the fun out of life. That's why he's giving you that big old book full of rules. Actually, those those parameters that he places around these different areas of our lives are there because he loves us and he cares for us. And and, and we see that uh, in his word. I can remember uh, working on the dairy farm when I was in seminary. And each each, uh, spring, we would turn out some heifers who had been in a barn most of the winter. Winters in northwestern Pennsylvania are pretty harsh. And so when it was time to turn them out to pasture, uh, we would uh, put up an electric fence around the perimeter of that pasture. 
And it was always fun to watch those. Uh, these are like first calf heifers. They're young ones. And, and we, we send them off into that field. And they're just like kicking up their little heifer heels and just having a great time. Their friends and their newfound freedom of the great outdoors and everything. And inevitably, one or two of them would make their way over to that electric fence. And they would edge up close to it. And then, boom, and they'd get popped by that electric fence. Now, you can stand there and go, well, how cruel to put up a fence like that and to restrict their freedom. But what those little heifers needed to know and understand is, although that little pop may have hurt in that moment, it was for their safety. It was because we cared about them and we didn't want them to end up in the road where they would get run over by a truck and end up as hamburger, okay? So that's many times we, we look at God's word and if people don't have a clear understanding of God's word, and that's all they see. They just see this just huge electric fence that God just, he just wants to restrict our freedom. That, that's not the idea here. So anything that deviates from God's design, God's plan, uh, ultimately will lead to, uh, it will lead to defeat, it will lead to damage, it will lead to destruction, and even as we're going to see here today, uh, to death. So sex, according to God's design, leads to satisfaction and delight. Anything that de deviates from that plan is distorted and leads to dissatisfaction and death. Understand this, for everything that God has designed and created as perfect and pure and holy and, and wonderful and all those things, Satan always has a cheap counterfeit. Always. Uh, you, you think about any number of things that God has designed and created for us, and you can know that Satan will provide some kind of a cheap counterfeit. It's not the real thing. It's like a lure. It's like, a, it's like artificial bait that you use when you catch fish. They're following after this. They're eventually going to chomp down on it, thinking that this is going to satisfy their appetite, right? When ultimately, the hook's getting set. It's the same way in areas like this and the way that Satan uh, works to destroy us. Now, as we continue on in chapter 5 here, you'll notice in, in verses 15 through 18, uh, maybe what seems like a little bit of strange language to some of us, uh, but if... Uh, you don't have to have a real creative mind to kind of understand what, uh, what Solomon's getting at here. He's using some uh, tasteful but clear metaphors. He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. And this is the connection. Verse 18 says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. It's God's design. Ray Ortland, respected pastor, writer, author, writes this. He says, sex is like fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. Proverbs 5 is saying, keep the fire in the marital fireplace. Stoke that fire as hot as you can. So Solomon uses this tasteful but clear metaphor to encourage his sons toward a vital, life-giving sexual relationship with a wife of his youth. Everything about this passage says, God designed this for our delight. And when a husband comes together with his wife, they should find great delight in one another and be intoxicated in their love. At the right time, with the right person, Sex, as designed by God, leads to satisfaction and delight. But when we stray from God's design, we distort something that God designed to be beautiful. And that delight turns to destruction. Any one of us, 
have seen this played out, maybe in a friend's life, maybe in a former pastor's ministry, maybe in uh, your own family. We've all seen exactly what Solomon is talking about here in this area. It's the second thing I want us to see today, and that is the distortion that leads to destruction. Again, I take you back to to chapter 5, verses 3 through 6, and I want you to notice uh, with a little more intentionality the words that Solomon uses here. He says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. So there's this appeal, there's this fleshly appeal. But then notice what it says in verse 4. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So human sexuality, according to God's design, leads to delight. Anything that deviates from that design is a distortion. And the thing about distortions is that they often have enough resemblance to the real thing to feel like it's an adequate substitute. But as we will see, it offers false promises and sure pain. So if we give our attention to Proverbs chapter 7, you flip over there, and we look particularly at verses 13 through 21, we see this played out. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vow. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens. Think the greatest thread count available. (laughs) Colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. That's not love, that's lust, isn't it? Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Sexual sin is persuasive and seductive. It offers immediacy. Do you know how many times as a student pastor years ago I would say to my students, students, do not sacrifice your future on the altar of immediate pleasure. And that's not just a statement that needs to be made to young people. That's true for all of us. Do not sacrifice your future, your relationship with God on the altar of immediate pleasure. It appeals to the senses. It says you can have it now. It will look and taste and feel good. It is love without commitment or strings attached. And so it puts you in control, it seems. It's attractive and easy and goes directly for your heart to the desires. And only the person who has decided beforehand to flee this kind of immorality will be able to say no. If you are on the fence about what you will say when this opportunity comes and the temptation reveals itself to you, then you will struggle to be able to resist. It's not an easy thing. If you continue to read in that seventh chapter into verses 22 and 23, it says, all at once he follows her. And notice the language used here. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. 
If you read through Proverbs chapters 5 through 7 here, and I would encourage you to do that, you'll see him describe consequences of losing your honor and reputation, losing time and money and property in legal battles and getting beat up by the cheated spouse and living with regret and broken relationships and families. And there's even a hint of physical deterioration due to this type of immorality. Solomon says, sexuality, according to God's design, leads to delight and satisfaction, but distorted, distorted sex leads to physical, emotional, financial, relational, and ultimately spiritual destruction, and in the end leads to death. The fool thinks I can beat the system. I can shortcut wisdom. I can get what I want. The twisted lie is from Satan himself. There's a 17th century writer by the name of Thomas Brooks who wrote this. He said, but he who now tempts you to sin upon the account that repentance is easy, it's cheap grace, it's the ideology that says, well, I'll do this and then God will just forgive me. He says, will before long bring you to despair and forever destroy your soul and represent repentance as the most difficult and hardest work in the world. That's why Solomon says in chapter 6, 27 through 29, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Sex is like fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. You say, Pastor, can you get a little more specific the risk of any kind of impropriety this morning, I have no desire to do that, but I can just tell you that this comes in a myriad of forms today, most of which you are well aware of. Some will shock you. Words being used today that many of us thought, I, would, I, would, I thought we'd never be having these types of conversations and debates in our culture Everything from lust, adultery, extramarital sex, premarital sex, pornography, strip clubs, prostitution, human trafficking, rape, sexual abuse, polygamy, polyamory, homosexual and lesbian sex, all of these things, all of them. And we've got to be very careful within the church that we not sit here in pride and arrogance and think that's just those people. Because it's not just, quote, those people. It's not. Now remember, these aren't arbitrary and ancient rules or prohibitions. All of these deviate from God's design for human sexuality. He gets to decide what is good and true and beautiful because he designed it and he knows what will lead to our flourishing. Ray Ortland again says this, And the truth is God gave us our sexuality both to focus our romantic joy and to unleash our romantic joy. And when this very human joy is both focused and unleashed, having both form and freedom, it becomes wonderfully intensified. We thrive within both form and freedom. Boundaries are gifts given by God so that the fire doesn't burn the house but warms the home. So I want us to consider thirdly this morning as we wrap it up, the desire to pursue a life of discipline. The desire to pursue a life of discipline. In chapter 6, verse 25, again, it says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. 
and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. You move into chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. My son, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Solomon tells his sons that the battle to pursue the path of wisdom is a battle for the heart. That's what we've been saying all along in this series. That's why Solomon stresses here, guard your heart. Guard your heart. It's one we've continually said throughout this series. Your passions determine your priorities, and your priorities will determine your path. We all have to guard our hearts. And this is not just related to this subject. It's related to every area of life. Whether it's a, whether it's a sinful pursuit of fame and fortune and any number of things. Guard your heart. And here are three ways to battle well. And we're going to close. First, teach your heart and learn discipline. Teach your heart and learn discipline. Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 24 says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. You see what Solomon said? Take this truth and bind it to your heart. Bind it to your heart. So this teaching, this truth will become a lamp to light your way and it will lead you to a disciplined life. So when we teach our heart where to aim, we begin to love the right things in the right way. It's interesting how often people misquote scripture when they say money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. What does it say? It says the love of money is the root of all evil, right? An ungodly, unwise, unbiblical love for money is what is sinful. The same is true in every area of life. Again, Satan will provide you a cheap imitation. A cheap imitation. There's actually a secular author by the name of David Brooks who wrote a book entitled The Second Mountain. And in that he said this, We are not primarily thinking creatures. We are primarily loving and desiring creatures. We are defined by what we desire. We become what we love. The core question for each of us is, have we educated our emotions to love the right things in the right way? We have to educate our desires. And we're living in a culture, and we can often ourselves think, if I feel something, then it must be right. If what you feel is aligned with what God says is true and good and beautiful, then it is right. If it is out of alignment, the problem isn't with God. The problem is with what we feel. And that's why we always say we do not want to be driven, pulled along by our feelings as the engine of our train. We want our faith and the truth of God's word to be the engine that drives us, even our feelings. So that's why we renew our minds and our hearts through the regular intake of God's word and through prayer. And then secondly, he says, watch your steps, guard your heart. 
Again, back to Proverbs 5, verses 7 and 8. He says, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from my words, from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Often we, we know when we're starting to stray. It's an interesting uh, a text that we uh, sometimes have to wrestle with as leaders in a church. Is when we look to the qualifications of church leaders. One of the ones that in the Baptist church particularly we have chosen to uh, use as a litmus test is he shall be the husband of one wife, right? So we make some bold assumptions about what that phrase means. You know what that phrase literally means in the original text? He shall be a one-woman kind of man. That means he has eyes for only one woman. He has certain words reserved for only one woman. He has, he has certain uh, ways that he interacts with only one woman. Only one woman. Okay, trust me. I can be calling in you ladies sweet lips, okay? I'm not. Or blue eyes, or honey baby cakes, or sweetheart, or any number of other words that you might think of. Those kinds of words are all reserved for one woman. One woman alone. God willing and by God's grace for the rest of my life. Don't be unwise. That's why I think Solomon here stresses even her words, her eyelashes, all these things. And again, this is not just a lady issue, okay? We're not just picking on you ladies here. He's talking to his son, okay? Scripture says that we are to mortify our flesh. That's an old word that we don't use much. It's a Puritan word that means to put something to death. In fact, Puritan John Owen said it this way, do you mortify do you make it your daily work? Be always as it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And when it comes to sin, we have the power in Christ to put it to death. Don't incubate your sin. When it's full grown, it will eat you alive. Put it to death. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And then finally, remember that Christ redeems what sin distorts. Christ redeems what sin distorts. Back to chapter 5, verses 21 through 23, it says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The inquiries of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So when it comes to, to sin in this area of our human sexuality, everyone can be tempted. No matter your sexual orientation, your gender, your age, your marital status, whatever the case may be. Proverbs tells us that our ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He doesn't miss a single step. Our iniquities and our sins set a trap, and unless someone sets us free, we will die. That's why the Bible very clearly says, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ and the freedom and the forgiveness that comes through that relationship and his finished work on Calvary, you and I are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead spiritually dead but there's hope there's hope listen to the gospel christ redeems what sin distorts in the first corinthians chapter six this comes from the new american standard i like the way it reads it says or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes when we read a text like that, that's kind of listing out some of these things, we can kind of mentally go, yep, yep, that's those people, yep, yep, yep. Ooh, quick, get over chapter 10. (laughs) Verse number 10. He says this, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. How is that possible? Jesus Christ was crucified not for his wickedness, but for our wickedness. Jesus was held fast to the cross, not by the cords or the nails of his sin, but by the cords of our sin. Jesus died not for a lack of his discipline, but for the lack of our discipline. He was led away not because of his foolishness and his folly, but because of our foolishness and our folly. So no matter what you have done or perhaps what has been done to you, No matter the path you've traveled, there is hope. Paul says, such were some of you. He's talking to a a group of Christians in Corinth. That can be your past if Christ is in your present. If Christ is in your present. Remember, there is no sin that can't be washed and cleansed. There's no sin that can't be forgiven. Christ redeems what sin distorts. So with that, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment as we move into a time of reflection and decision today. I'm well aware that this is an incredibly sensitive subject. It's more sensitive for some than others because of maybe some of your life experiences Like so many areas of life within this area, there are addictions and any number of things with which people struggle. And I want to sound for a moment like we're just talking about somebody else here. It's unwise for any of us to assume that this could never be something with which I struggle. We want to live lives of integrity in every way. Lives of holiness in every way. As we reflect the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you're maybe even walking in a a state of uncertainty about your relationship with God. Maybe you're feeling like, oh, I'm trying to be good enough. I'm trying to be a better person. I've just got to tell you today that it's not about you or I becoming a better person. It's all about whether we're forgiven, cleansed by the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. So if you've never taken that step of faith, never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that today. There may be some here today who would say, Pastor, this is one of those areas where I struggle. It seems in the world in which I work, the environment in which I'm required to spend a lot of my time, there's a lot of temptation. 
I want to walk in purity. I want to walk in holiness. What is God saying to you today through his word and by his Holy Spirit? Father, we thank you that your word is not outdated. uh, That it's not obsolete. That you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that you have designed everything that you have designed for us, for your glory. You've given us everything that we need, Scripture says, for life and godliness, for us to thrive, to flourish. And any time, in any area of our lives, that we choose something else, we choose that over you and what's best. And so sin in every form is ultimately idolatry. And each one of us have to say, if we're completely honest today, Lord, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And that's why, oh Lord, we so desperately need your wisdom, particularly in this area. Lord, we love you, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.